The trilogy about the Holy Spirit concludes this morning with my message I've titled, The River. The river is a metaphor mentioned in the scripture to describe the refreshing and renewing and rebuilding of life that comes into the life of every believer who receives Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit actually comes to live on the inside of everyone who believes and then begins to refresh, remake, and fill, fulfill our lives. But he also comes to do something through us, something very powerful, not just through individuals, but through people who gather together and people who are together as one. The powerful results that occur when each of us individually and together go deep with God in a consistent relationship with the Holy Spirit. That's what we want to look at today. Here's the question. What does it mean to go deeper with God? You want to find out? Get your Bible or look up scripture on your phone or your computer and join me in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 47, and I want to read the first 12 verses. Ezekiel chapter 47, the first 12 verses. But before we start to read, can we go to the Lord one more time and ask him to meet us in his word today? Would you join me? Lord, we bring open minds. We open our heart. We open our hands. We ask you to speak to us. We ask you to continue to change us for the praise of your glory. We ask you, O oh Lord, for the healing in our land to be released when we understand the meaning and the power of the river. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Ezekiel chapter 47, starting in verse number one. The man brought me back to the entrance to the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east. So he's left the temple, and now he's leaving the city. And the water was trickling from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits. Cubit mean, gives us, uh, is a measuring uh, 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 statement there. And what that would mean in our understanding is that he is measuring a little over 1,500 feet, about a mile in a football field, if you want to be closer. And then he led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. And he measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. Verse 6, he asked me, son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. And when I arrived there, so he goes way out and all the way back in with the man. And when he arrives there, he says, I saw, this is Ezekiel, he says, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah. That's the desert region. 
where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from En Gedi to En Eglaim. These are two geographical locations, North Fountain to the south, showing the entire coastline of the river. And then he says, they, these fishermen will be all along the whole river, along the shore, on the coastline, and they will be placing nets there, spreading out their nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Verse 12. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. Wow, there's this 20-something-year-old young man. His name is Ezekiel. He's seen a series of visions. He is part of the upper class. He's a young priest. He's had a series of visions over years during Israel's time of being captured by the Babylonian Empire, and the armies have taken them from Israel, taken them from Jerusalem, to a foreign land, and they're slaves. They're slaves. And in this first series of visions, God shows Ezekiel his glory. Man, if you've never read Ezekiel 1, you have to read it. It is amazing, especially if you're into like close encounters of the strange kind. This is a, the coolest close encounter of the God kind in the Bible. It's, it's mind-blowing, man. First chapter, read it before you go to bed tonight. Ezekiel is given a series of messages to tell Israel why they have been captured. And it runs through 39 chapters. He sees the glory of God leaving the temple in Jerusalem. And then God shows Ezekiel the reason. The evil hidden sins of the people, especially the government leaders and the priesthood. And that's why judgment had come. But then, just like in Isaiah's life, Ezekiel sees another group of visions 10 years later from chapter 40 on, and that's where we are. We're 10 years later, God begins to show Ezekiel more visions, and he begins explaining his passion to bring Israel back home. The judgment was measured in justice and mercy, and they've suffered enough from God's word. They've suffered enough. He even says it. You've suffered enough. You've paid the price, and now you can come home. I'm going to bring you home. And so this new series of visions given to Ezekiel, he's probably late 30s. God is launching a mission of salvation for him, for them, and it will include all of Israel, and it will be so vast that it will reach way beyond Israel. 
And he then gives him this image to give explanation. He gives him this picture of a river. Ezekiel sees this incredible picture from God. All of these things are images and symbols that God is using so that man can understand. All of these images and symbols are things we understand. That's the only way God can get it to us, in our understanding. But he loves us so much that he gets poetic and prophetic in form to reveal practically powerful purposes he has for you and for me. And we're going to cover them real quickly. This man leads Ezekiel. And he has a measuring line in his hand. And then he starts at the altar in the temple and leads him from the altar to the river. Just think of that. You know what? God wants to bring every person to himself. He wants to bring everybody back. He wants to help every person. He wants to help our country. He wants to help the world. He wants to help the inner city. He wants to help your mama and your daddy. He wants to help me. He wants to help the church. He wants to help the churches. God wants to help. And not only does he want to help, he wants to heal. And when God heals, he heals real good, real good. We're going to see that. And he makes it personal. And so these symbols, the man with the measuring line in his hand, he personally takes us by the hand. That's what he wants to do. And he wants to lead us. He has a measured, a measured uh, plan for every person. It's precise. It is absolutely precise and it's personal. And he wants every one of us to go deeper with him. He wants us to go deeper with him into the river. Jesus, centuries later, stands up in the temple and he says, If any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. For as the scriptures say, he's pointing to this and he's pointing to Isaiah, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And this he spoke about the Spirit, because the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So we are centuries before that, and this 30-something young priest prophet is seeing this picture that God is going to come with this powerful imagery that's like, like a river that's going to go not just to the temple in Jerusalem, it's going to come out of the temple, out of the city, and go way beyond. And it will reach all kinds of people. God wants to help everyone personally. Would you let God get real personal with you? He wants to take us. He wants to show us what it means to go deeper, to go deeper with him. Now, going deeper means going with the man, personal, but it also means letting the man set the measure. Here's what that means. If you look in verses 3 through 5, it says, He measured off a thousand cubits and led me through water ankle deep. Right? First step. Then he led me off another thousand and led me to knee deep. And then he goes on, waist deep. And then to a river that I, couldn't, I could not control, man. I mean, it was, it was powerful. It was deep. Here's what the Lord's saying through that. In this healing, healing mission of God to save you and me and to save nations, save cities, save the broken and the hated and the hateful, 
heartbroken and the hard-hearted. Same mission. Take me by the hand and lead me in. Because you know what? The only place that I can find real healing and real hope and real help is in the water, in the river. And God knows it. God knows it. So you start at the altar, you surrender, you trust, you believe, and into the river, God wants to take you and me. And some people will read this, and I've read this a million times, and thought, well, you know, ankle deep, well, that's a, that's a real shallow Christian. You're not real shallow if you're just getting started. God wants to take you on a journey into the river, and he'll be patient because he's just looking for progress. Progress comes by trusting the man. Progress comes by staying with God's measured plan of progress. Help. If you're in ankle deep water, hey, you probably just started. But listen, on we go. On we go. Letting the man set the measure. Don't stay there. Keep going. He leads us on. He leads us on into, into a level of, of water that is, that is r- like a river. But here's the thing. God is patient, but sometimes God pushes. Sometimes God pushes. He pushes nicely. Sometimes he allows pain to push. Because sometimes we won't move by any other method. And so God pushes. You know? We should pray, God, take me where you want to go. But also, God, take me where I don't want to go. If healing's on the other side, God, take me where I don't want to go. Let's keep moving. Going deeper means setting our sights. Setting our sights on the connection of the river depth with spiritual growth. Those who are deep with God, what does that mean? Have you ever wondered or have you ever thought what it meant? What does it mean to go deep with God? Those who are deep with God are seeing growth in three areas. If I'm really in the river, I will be seeing growth in these three areas. Fruitfulness, fitness, and fishing. Going deeper means setting our sights. I mean getting locked in. Pinpoint perspective. Look, what, look, how, look how the Lord uh, speaks to Ezekiel. He says, do you see this? In verse 6, then he led me back to the bank. He'd been out all the way to the river. Ankle, knee, waist, river. And then back in. He's back in and the man asks Ezekiel this question. Son of man, do you See this. See what? He looks on the riverbanks, both sides, and when he arrives there, he sees a great number of trees on each side of the river. In other words, God is saying, I want you to focus on fruitfulness. I want to take you deep into fruitfulness. What does fruitfulness mean? It means Christ-like character. Christ-like character. We're in chapter 47. In chapter 40, when God begins this new series of visions to Ezekiel, he starts to talk about rebuilding the temple. Well, the temple has been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. 
There is no temple. And God is saying, we're going to build a new temple. We're going to get you back home. We're going to get you back to the altar. We're going to get you in the river and get you on and get you out there. And Ezekiel has seen this. In the 40th chapter, he shows him the temple and he says, Son of man, I want you to see with your eyes. Listen, I want you to see with your eyes. I want you to hear with your ears. I want you to fix your mind on everything I show you. For you were brought here so that I might show them to you. And then go and declare this to the house of Israel, everything you see. He says, son of man, do you see this? Daryl Block, who is one of my favorite scholars, he teaches at Dallas Theological Seminary. He says this, like Ezekiel, our mission is to concentrate on what God wants to show us. After all, we're not simply tourists visiting an historical site or even a worshiper on a pilgrimage to a shrine. We, like Ezekiel, are before a mediator of divine revelation. Why does God want us to see? Because God wants us to be pinpoint focused in our perspective of what it means to go deep. Because God wants to take us deep. And not just for one reason, but for three. Three very important reasons. Look at the trees first. Fruitfulness first. Fruitfulness fruitfulness. He, remember how many times the Bible equates healthy trees to spiritual health? Yeah, like, like Psalm 1, talking about people that are walking in the word. They'll be like a tree planted by streams of water whose leaf will not wither, and whatever they do prospers. Remember when Jesus healed that one blind man? He healed him. He said, what do you see? And the man says, I see men as trees. I think the Lord allowed that to happen to say something prophetically to us, showing us a symbol. Then he touched him a second time and he saw clearly. There's a connection there. Do we see that God equates our going deeper with him in terms of fruitfulness? And that fruitfulness comes when we're near the river, when we're planted, planted near the river. Why is that important? Because Ezekiel 47.9 tells us, where the river flows, everything will live. There is an essence of life that we cannot work up in ourselves. There is a character, release, genesis in our life that only happens in a location, and that location is in the river. Verse 12, fruit trees of all kinds will grow on the banks. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they'll bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food, and their leaves, listen, their leaves for healing. This isn't some kind of healthy diet thing where we just eat off the tree and get physically healed. There's a huge emphasis in the spiritual charismatic uh, community on body healing. I'm not here to knock that, but that's not what God is primarily focused on. He's focused on fruitfulness because it's through the fruitfulness of his people. The Christ-like character release in the midst of the hurting and hate-filled, and hated, and heartbroken, and heart-hardened. The release of the character of Jesus Christ is what will bring healing to the cities. Healing. 
The connection and relational walk with the man into the river is to expand, right? Expand. That's why ankle, knee, and waist is given. He wants to expand, to make progress. Yes, patiently. Aren't you glad? Sometimes it's a push. He wants to widen the dimension of my relational health, not just my character, but my relational health with himself, of course, with others as well, with others. Relational health with others. My relationships, if I am following the man who has the measure, will reflect color and diversity of culture and connection with people with different points of view. You know how they say birds of a feather flock together? That's not what we want. We want the garden of God, which was made up of all kinds of birds. (laughs) And the flock of God's sheep should be very diverse. I don't want to be passive and just pray that God will lead diverse people to the LOH. I've been praying that for a long time. Either God isn't listening or the man wants to push me deeper. He might want me to move toward breaking racial barriers. He might want me to build connections with people from a different cultural viewpoint than mine. He might want me to join a diverse culture. See, why? Because the leaves on the trees for the healing of the nations. Let me describe it like this. Along the river grow trees, and God isn't interested in growing real trees, although he made, I mean, he's not interested, but that's not the point of this. He wants to grow people. So think of this. Ezekiel is looking uh, on the sides, and he sees Let's say he sees nine trees in this uh, short segment of the, of, the, uh, of the 1,500 and the football field feet. And he sees how many trees you can fit in there. And they all have leaves that have these nine expressions of God's heart, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Raise your hand if you think the world needs some of that. Where do we find that? In the river. Because the river was the powerful component that birthed those trees to produce that kind of fruit. And those trees are for the healing of the nations. Jesus trees. Jesus trees. The murder of George Floyd is sickening and heartbreaking. Saddening and maddening. 
But it's not enough to be sad, heartbroken, or mad. This murder, murder, heinous, heartless murder, needs to be the one that breaks the shackles of hell off America. The one we speak out about and everybody gets intentional about. Now how do we find healing? A one event windstorm in a conference building? Or we wait for another Billy Graham or another Martin Luther King to come up and do the job so we can write a song about him 30 years later? The man wants to lead every one of us out to swim. See with your eyes. Hear with your ears. Understand with your hearts and be healed. Not bodily healing. Why don't we have a healing service that's out in the streets? And it's not, oh, my sinuses got cleared. Hate left the city. Living like those trees in the midst of the broken non-Jesus culture. If we're going to go deeper, it means we have to avoid swamp substitutes. Do I have time to preach this? Pour yourself another cup. Verse 11, the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. Going deeper with God in the river means avoiding swamp substitutes. I want to list for you some swamp substitutes that we have been guilty at times, me too, of redefining deep Christians. One swamp substitute in place of character, connection, and fishing is experiences in the spirit as the only pursuit of my life. Where we just have an audience with barely any focus on serving the Lord's people or fishing for lost people, because that's never in the forefront of why we gather. Not event servers in t-shirts, we need out in the world tree shirts. Swamp substitutes that redefine what a deep Christian is. Here's another one. Education equaling transformation. The swampy marsh area was near the river, but it kept its old characteristics. No change took place. Jesus said the Pharisees sat in biblical seats of knowledge, but didn't bear the evidence of the knowledge they claimed to know. Knowing isn't being. Being reveals who we know and who we truly are. Being reveals who truly knows us. It would not surprise me if the police officer who killed George Floyd, it wouldn't surprise me if he hadn't been to church in his life. It wouldn't surprise me if he didn't know what the gospel was. It wouldn't surprise me if he didn't believe that Jesus is the Savior. It would not surprise me. 
But there's a difference between knowing and being. And being only happens in the river. But we can substitute river for swamp and make swamp mean deep Christian because they know a lot about God and a lot about the Bible and a lot about everything that there is to know a lot about. But there are other substitutes. Here's another one. Evaluating others without empathy or companionship offered to them. Jesus said about the Pharisees, You lay, with your Bible teaching, heavy burdens on people, but you won't lift a finger to help them carry it. No empathy, no companionship. It's easy when you start studying the Bible to really begin to see other people's sins. Really begin to evaluate the situation in Minnesota. We can easily know what sin is, and we can easily see it. Even in ourselves, we can really see it in others. But here's what I've come to find in my life. It's not as easy to be a goodness tree or a kindness tree when that sin is against me. Like, I just hope that there is as much heartbreak over the hateful as there is over the hated. Because Jesus died on the cross for both. And cheering in the gathering of the hangings, the Holy Spirit won't be doing it. Here's another swamp substitute. Excluding evangelism and outreach from our riverbank. Nobody with poles in the water. You have a devotional journal when you log in it and there's nothing in there written about bringing someone to faith or writing at the end of the day about sharing your faith with an unbeliever or writing about how God opened an amazing door out of nowhere and you walked through it and shared your faith in Jesus Christ and you saw someone's life begin to change. We have a lot of church attendance stickers in all kinds of color, but not a whole lot of brand new caught fish. No prayer list regarding lost friends or classmates or work colleagues. Excluding evangelism and outreach from our riverbank is a swamp substitute that can look like we're going deeper in God. Keith Green was one of the first catalyst change leaders that impacted my life. He died when he was 28 years old in a plane crash. He was a tree. (laughs) He said so many things that set my hair on fire when I had it. One was this. He said this, listen, listen, if you're watching this and you're 20-something, You're Ezekiel's age. Keith Green said, this generation of believers is responsible for this generation of souls. To pray, to share, to give, and to go. And say to God, how about you not sending someone else this time? How about you sending me? Then he said, giving to missions and ministries around the world is really good, but sometimes God's going to answer back and say, 
I don't want to cash your out-of-state check in heaven this time. I want you to send you instead of your money. Yeah. Guys don't talk like that much today. Going deeper means avoiding swamp substitutes. Let me ask you this question. When I say the word minister, does your mind automatically go to preacher, pastor, or you in action? Again, when I say the word minister, honest, first thought, is it someone like me or something that you have to do because you're in deep with the man? Is it a noun, someone else, or a verb? I want to close with this question. Why do we claim to be deep Christians and we're not fishing for men? Let me share the short version of the life of someone who lived in deep river water with God. His name was George Mueller. He lived in the 1800s. John Piper describes him this way. George Mueller saw the great awakening of 1859, which led, which led to the conversion of hundreds of thousands of people. Listen to George Mueller. Listen, listen, listen. He did follow-up work for D.L. Moody, who was the Billy Graham of the 1800s. He preached for Charles Spurgeon. He inspired the missionary faith of Hudson Taylor, who was he? The first Western missionary to mainland China. Listen to this. He spent most of his life in England and pastored the same church there for 66 years. And if this sounds unconventional, that would be accurate. He was a maverick, not only in his church life, but also in areas of his life. But his eccentricities were almost all because of his big heart, sounds like a tree by the river, right? And directed outward, sounds like the river, for the good of others. Sounds like he's passed ankle deep with God. A.T. Pearson said about him in his biography, Mueller devised large and liberal things for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this, ready? Listen to this. Um, in 1834, ready? When he was 28. How old are you watching this? How old are you? When he was 20. Listen, Ezekiel, it started in his 20s. Same with Daniel. Same with Isaiah. Do you know when you're reading Ezekiel, you're not reading something written by a guy that's old and crusty? He's a young man. So is Daniel, so is Isaiah, so is Jeremiah. How old are you? What does God want to do in your life, through your life? He doesn't want you to be like George Mueller, but he wants you to be the deepest expression of the full measure of you. George Mueller, back to him, he's 28 years old. He founded the Scripture Knowledge Institute for Home and Abroad. Because he was disillusioned with the post-millennial liberal worldly strategies of the existing mission organizations of his day. 28-year-old, he said, I'm going to start a whole missions organization. That's not all. Five branches of this institute developed out of it. One, schools for kids and adults to teach Bible. 
Two, Bible distribution. Three, missionary support. Four, tract and book distribution. And five, to board, clothe, and scripturally educate destitute children who have lost both of their parents, and he started all that at age 28. Not starting to think about it, he started doing it. And the accomplishment of all five of those branches was so significant, listen, but the one was known for around the world in his lifetime. Before he died, and it's still known to this day, was his orphan ministry. Listen, he built, starting at 28 years old, he built five large orphanages that cared for 10,024 orphans in his life. And when he started in 1834, they had 3,600 orphans and, then, and twice that many children under eight in England were in prison. One of the greatest effects of Mueller's ministry was to inspire others so that, quote, listen, 50 years after Mueller began his work, at least 100,000 orphans were cared for in England alone. Do you think that's something? He did all this while he was preaching three times a week for 68 years. Only a man in a river can do that. You can't do that. From 1830 to 1898, at least 10,000 sermons were preached from George Mueller. And when he turned 70, he wanted to fulfill one more lifelong dream of missionary work. And so he spent 17 years on the mission field until he was 87. He traveled to 42 countries, preaching on average of once a day and addressed 3 million people in the 1830s, 40s, 50s, 60s. I said all that because my final slide is a sermon by Charles Spurgeon who mentions George Mueller in his sermon from Ezekiel 47, the river. And he says this, Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, said this, George Mueller, I love it, he said, swam in the river of the Holy Spirit. You think? Listen, how blessed my friend Mr. Mueller of Bristol swims. What a master swimmer he is. He has, I love this, he has had his feet off the bottom many years. And as he swims, he draws along orphans for God. Whom by God's grace, George Mueller is saving from the floods of sin and bringing safe to heaven's shore. L-O-H. Everybody watching, young 20-something, stay out of the swamp. Stay out of the swamp. Let the man set the measure. Ask him to lead your Bible study deeper, your prayer time deeper. Your time of connection to other people has to go in the river and past ankle-deep connection to change a hurting heart. Nothing was mentioned of Mueller's doctrinal accuracy. 
Nothing was mentioned of the things that we put there to define what it means to go deeper with God. No mention of any mystical encounter in a gathering with the ghost with the most. Just 87 years of reaching thousands of people, all ages, all continents, for Christ. Swamps. What substitutes do I need to look out for? What tempts me to take the measuring line from the hand of the man? There's a river. And the one who called out through Ezekiel to Israel a thousand miles from home says, let me show you a new picture. I'm going to build a place for you. I'm going to bring you back to the promises of God. I'm going to guide you all the way back. And when you get home and you get to the altar, a man's going to be waiting for you. He's going to take you by the hand and he's going to walk you out into a river. And listen, that river is going to, I'm going to take you into new places and we're going to get healed. And we're going to get first things first. We're going to get our head on straight. We're going to get our compass set to true north. And we're going to keep on going out. We're going to go out the knee level. And we're going to go out the waist. And we're going to go out all the way. You're out there. And then we're going to come back. And I want you to see, son. I want you to see, church. I want you to take a good look. See with your eyes. Hear with your ears. Understand with your heart. Because you are a divine mediator that is being sent to build cities long been broken down. You carry upon you the anointing of the river wherever you go, and your life will be healing. The fruit of the righteous is like a tree of life, Proverbs 11.30 says. And he who wins souls is wise. And Daniel, the young man, heard God say, whoever turns people to righteousness will someday shine like the stars in the heavens. We can be a star here. Because people in the swamp think we're deep. Or we can be a star there. And nobody even knew our name. Can I tell you 20-something? That there are 20-somethings in Iran that are out in above waist-deep water with Jesus. There are young kids in India who are out beyond waist-deep water. There are kids in China. There are kids all over Asia. There are kids in Africa and South America who've taken the hand of the man. God doesn't need every prophet and missionary to come from the United States of America. We need missionaries to come to the United States of America. Let's pray. Lord, Take me on a daily walk into the deep waters of your word so I can not only know but grow. Give me the strength to face my need to control you and others. Take me by the hand, I open mine. Lord, help me find my fishing pole. Get me out of the swamp. Get me out of the swamp. And Lord, I pray this for me most of all. The one in the most need of all, me. Lord, let the river flow.
Let your river flow to some young man who's been traumatized in his own home that thinks the only way to work out a frustration is to set something on fire or maybe someone. Some of the greatest prophets that might ever live for Jesus are probably right now throwing rocks through some window. The trees of the king need to be planted in the dark. Lord, let the river flow. Take your church by the hand and let your river flow. Let your river flow, O Lord. Only healing can come from you. Dissolving hate cells out of our soul can only come from fresh water that flows from the altars of God. Already purchased through the blood of the one who was murdered on a cross unjustly. And he said, Father, forgive them all. They don't know what they're doing. Lord, our nation doesn't know what it's doing from the White House to, the, to my house and the church house. There's nobody on the left, there's nobody on the right, and there's nobody on the center that can do anything for anyone unless they've got their hand in the hand of the man and they're down in the water. God, let your river flow. Because where the river flows, everything will live. Let the river flow, Lord. And save us from the swamp killers. Open the eyes of the self-centered, self-righteous, blind follower of Jesus. And let the river flow.